little intro here before we dive into it. We open the pod just rambling about God knows what, peripherally related to this podcast and the things we do normally talk about. We were recording, but we, we hadn't said go, so we're just sort of meandering through a couple of things catching up. So I figured we'd leave it in. We're going to talk Pokemon Presents. We didn't expect to, uh, not as long as we did anyway. And then Last of Us, Episode 7. If you got thoughts, if you got opinions, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at eJiggle. Nick is at Death. You can write to us, feedback at consulcrusade.com. We'll read it. We'll talk shit. Uh, so just throwing that out there. Enjoy. Yeah, you know what? Maybe we actually don't need voice acting in Pokemon games. Oh, that is sexy. God damn. Is that a real Hori pad or is that a... It's the uh, retro bit. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's nice, nice. dude. It's got the USB-C charge, Ooh. wireless for Switch. RZRLZL. Automatically maps. Gets it all set up. I was very mentally confused by the... Uh, blue a button and the green b button that like goes against every fiber of my being <laughs> doesn't make sense i hate it how does it feel i mean is it like it feels nice i mean it's it's really the only way that i can play n64 games because i i cannot abide by the c buttons being mapped to a stick having an analog input for a digital what's supposed to be a digital input i, I just can't handle it and a lot of games utilize it as like a six button kind of controller layout so i need to have at least the the six buttons and then this stick is actually i think it's pretty much exactly the same as a gamecube stick it's got the octagonal gate and the nice like rubberized little circles it's not the hard plastic that the og n64 controller has and as far as like the actual just like horizontal layout with the the analog stick with the d-pad down below it and it doesn't really matter because if a game uses the D-pad, it doesn't use the stick. And if it uses the stick, it doesn't use the D-pad as far as N64 games are concerned. So, but it's nice. Feels good. I'd be a lot more inclined to mess around with N64 stuff if Nintendo had implemented some sort of CRT screen filters like they did on all of their other consoles. But yeah, that would be nice. I agree. I think it looks good as it is. It's not like phenomenal. It's not going to blow your socks off. But for a polygonal game like that, I'm fine with it. Just being the raw polygons with the super blurry textures, that's it kind of matches what I remember of them. I didn't know that uh, polygonal was legal in Oregon. Spoken like a man who definitely lived in Utah at one point. I was just going to say, that's that's a Utah in me and in the six sister wives who I left behind. Dude, I've gone the six. God. One for every day of the week, baby. I've been down a rabbit hole on YouTube, like looking at different screen filters and like how that changes different types of art on retro consoles and seeing some of the N64 comparisons. And I'm like, Oh, this is why in my mind, I imagine these consoles looking so much better than they really are. It's, it's not just that you adapt to what's new. It's they did look better back then, not on a laggy 240p upscale on a, on a shitty HDTV, you know, it also helps that just, because it was targeting a like like you said with CRTs, the way the pixels bleed into each other, it's it's sort of like a built-in anti-aliasing. So a lot of times the art assets can be like if you think of the UI in a um, N64 game like uh, Ocarina of Time or Super Mario 64, it's not a distinct sort of PNG that's floating above 
the play field, like it, it's incorporated perfectly because everything is are those pixel sizes. Or something like Paper Mario. That game looks so goddamn good on a CRT. And even going back to it, it's like this looks good, but I remember it looking better because obviously it was these 2D billboard sprites spinning around and being papery because that was like the whole conceit of the graphical notion of that game. But yeah, it totally looks so much better on an old CRT. I know it's like kind of overplayed to kind of be like, it's what the developers intended because they were developing on the, it's like, well, they had broadcast monitors that were a lot crispier than anything consumers were using. So on one hand, like, yeah, it was designed for something more akin to like consumer technology in the nineties and the two thousands than a modern HGTV. But also what they were looking at is not what we were looking at. A lot closer. Like you said, being the same technology definitely helps. There is something to be said about how artists were taking advantage of, or maybe it wasn't even intentional. It was just, it was just because of the tools they had that that's how things came to be. Like no one ever predicted, you know, when they were making sprites in 1992, that it was ever going to be displayed one for one on like anything resembling a modern screen, you know? So who, who fucking knows? So we're rambling before we even started the podcast, but I finally, finally tracked down an OEM remote for my CRT TV. It's the first time oh. in 10 years that TV has had a remote. So I was able to access a service menu, which has a hundred options. So now I have to go in and try to figure out how to calibrate my red, green, and blue. So as to not get this horrible warp that I'm getting on one side. And I think I can do it all from the service menu. Cause this is a more modern television, but it seems very daunting, but I'm very happy to have finally a remote for my CRT. Very but, nice. That's crazy. I wonder if I can get a remote for the CRT that we have because I too have the warp, but I don't know if it's just because the the projector, whatever, is like seated weird or or what, but it's like noticeably thinner at the top. Like the margin is like visible on one side and it's like distorted and warped down. It's really gross. You can get a you can get the 240p test suite and it has a whole bunch of different tests to check the calibration of your CRT, and then you can go in and start messing with things. Like I have an older VHS set that I have on my desk that's got, to me, looks like just a rotated yoke in there. So it's like just fully skewed. That's what mine kind of feels like. But sometimes that can be, there, there are things you can fix the tilt, you can fix the the twist, and you can warp certain corners. And there, I mean, it just depends on the TV and how old it is. And I what I have a problem is that depending on the colors being displayed, it bows at the ends. So like on Smash Bros, you know when you're on that menu on Smash Bros. Melee and it's got the yellow border and then right. it, it goes like yellow, red, green, blue when you when you go up and down. Depending on which color that it's displaying, the warp is in a different part of the right side of the screen. And so I think that's just a calibration needs to happen between where those projectors are defaulting to. I don't know. It's... CRTs are extremely complicated and extremely dangerous, I found out, as I went to take one apart. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Do not do that. Nope, bad idea. <laughs> Capacitors. What? I text, texted my dad, and I was like, the electrician, and I said- They will kill you. Yes. they. You, yeah. <laughs> They're very dangerous. And I said, can you can you help me with this? He's like, I can't walk you through it. You'll die. <laughs> and I said, can I bring it up, and can you do it? And he says, maybe. Jeez. Like, okay. You Great. need to go to an old-timey repair shop. With a sign in the window that says, we repair TVs and an elderly gentleman will be sitting behind the counter dusting something off. He'll look off. just like the guy from Toy Story 2. 
Yes. Cleans the dolls. Yeah. He's just dusting something off. It looks like a TV part, but you're not really sure what it does. And you'll set it down and you'll be like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm having a little bit. Of it. And he's like, image warp on the right side. Changes based on the different kind of color. Yeah, we can fix that. Drop it off. You know, I called every TV and electronic specialty shop in Eugene. The two most promising ones were two fellows who could barely speak English. One was a Greek man and one was an Asian man. And they both asked me a lot of questions about my TV. The other places just said, no, we don't do that. But these guys were like, you know, what kind of TV? What's the model number? And I was like, oh, I'm getting somewhere. And they're like, ah, we can't help you. And I was like, dude, you get my hopes up like this. I'm sitting here on, you know, trying to transcribe the things you're saying to me over the phone. And you just got to let me down after a nine minute phone conversation. Anyway, just jerking you around. I was like, this motherfucker thinks that we have any idea what to do with the JVC. <laughs> Come on. We only deal with Panasonic. Doesn't he know? Phillips or nothing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to. Anyway, okay, let's do this thing. Gosh, I'm like, this is the first week that I've, I'm not even looking forward to talking about this episode. Because I'm like, I, I just don't have the energy to be upset. There was nothing egregious. I'm just so let down at the slow and just very slight decline since episode one. You start to get the, the picture in its totality, and, and now it starts to color how I see, you know, Episodes four and five and episode, you know, even three. Anyway, Last of Us, Console Crusade, Nick Durheim, Chris Gillyfor. Mm-hmm. Chris, you're gonna run <laughs> us through this because I just don't have I just don't got it today, man. Um I will I'll I'll run us through it. I'll run us through whatever we want to be run through. Uh do we want to start with the Pokemon Presents? Because that can't possibly take more than ten minutes. That's on you, buddy. Sure. <laughs> That's all right. on you. That's what you got. Let's get the somehow worse portion of this out of the way uh because i i share your general apathy towards episode seven buddy um pokemon presents this morning uh monday morning i didn't have any expectation for this and not in the way where i'm sort of like "Mm, if i expect something i'll be let down just that i was literally like this is going to be not a lot of great stuff it's going to be very run-of-the-mill we're not going to get we're not going to get let's go to we're certainly not going to get any like new game announcements i was like we're we're probably going to get some card game shit. We're going to get some MOBA shit and we're going to get DLC for Scarlet Violet. That's pretty much exactly what we got. Honest to God, really the only thing that I could have possibly hoped for would have been red, blue, yellow on the NSO game. Right. Stuff. And even then I wasn't like really hitching my wagon to that. I was like, oh, that'd be nice. You know, have that sort of tie in with Pokemon Stadium coming to N64. Like that would have been cool. Yeah, but no, we didn't get any of that. Uh, instead, we got what has been described in in some circles, namely ours, as a wet fart. Thanks for that, Nick. <laughs> where you expect little and somehow receive something worse. Um, <laughs> so uh, they open up with uh, with some updates on the uh, 2023 World Championships. None of us online gamers, none of us trading card game players. We're going to skip right on past that. They give us a little, a little teaser, something that actually kind of seems, uh, seems like something I will watch. That's a little interesting, which is a uh, collaboration with Netflix on a stop motion animated uh, original Pokemon series. And the little bit of the animation they show with that, that poor little Psyduck, like waddling up and, and just looking so terribly confused. Like I laughed and I was like, this, this looks kind of charming. Like I definitely will watch this seems like some good like cotton candy type entertainment definitely seems like a very light sort of fair which i could be down for but it's nothing to get me out of bed yeah exactly it's it's like i i will watch it. it'll be it'll be our palate cleanser when we're in between like 
episodes of Barry and Station Eleven and Severance and all the all the prestige TV that we're we're starting in, like with Attack on Titan and Demon Slayer both coming back like this week. Like we're gonna we're gonna need some palettes cleansed over the next six to nine months for sure. Um they moved from that into kind of a like rapid fire series of updates about things like Pokemon Unite, uh their their MOBA, which like I couldn't tell you what their player base is for that, but they're still supporting it actively. Nick, do you know anything about that? I, I mean, I know it like reached a certain, they're touting numbers as far as downloads and people who had played it, but I don't know what that really translates into their like monetary incentive to keep supporting it or whether it's been a success. It's like a collaboration between them and some other company, like one of the Chinese companies that made um, one of those big MOBAs on mobile phones like the clash of kings or arena battle or you know all the really thrilling and easy to remember names that you and i as gamers totally uh, understand and relate to the the one thing from this sort of like rock block of uh sort of nothing was <laughs> uh i saw that they're doing uh like a a revival of the og like pokemon card sets what what did they give more information on that that I just missed? I mean, EJ, I know you were a sicko who was trying to like fall into the Pokemon, the old trading cards because we are of that age. But I don't know if this is something that's just like, because you you and I are collectively are more plugged into Magic the Gathering and they've done multiple things like this where they bring back a, a certain card in an old frame or they have their master's sets that's like getting reprints just to sell packs that cost more than a regular set would so is it just like that or is it like a limited do you buy just the cards or is it still like cracking packs are they doing i don't know what the the competitive support is if any of those cards are even legal or like what the rulings are these days because they seem broke as fuck from the card game how many years ago is this now seven eight years ago they did i can't even remember the name of the set now but they did like an anniversary set and they reworked a bunch of classic cards to be competitive in the current meta and current rule set because it's a very different game than it was in you know 1999. But yeah, I, I don't know if this is just a collectible thing or if it's going to be. I mean, I don't know. But Chris, do you is, did you do more research? I mean, just from what I gathered, that that's exactly what it is. Is this smacks of like World of Warcraft classic where they're literally just giving you two decks of cards from the OG base set one that are all like beautifully reprinted or whatever. You're getting the like foldable little tabletop thing with all the little like custom made counters and damage icons uh, and a little space for like, I think that little ball rolling thing they showed is like the, is, is like the equivalent of a, of a coin flip where it's like, if it goes here, it says here, it sales. Uh, that is exactly what it is, is it's just collector bait. It's just collector bait. For people who want to play like the OG card series. That's not too bad. I, I like that. Like I like a standalone. Here's the product and here's what you're getting over a here's a new set. And then you have to crack packs to try and get that chase first edition foil Charizard or whatever. And they knew what they were doing by showing fat Pikachu. They know the fans love chubby Pikachu. Oh, I have a fat Pikachu in my wallet right now. There you go. That's better than a Visa or MasterCard, buddy. <laughs> I would be okay with this. And I, I've been saying this for years as like someone who has been remotely interested in Pokemon. Um, not so much their modern stuff, but I've kept up with it reasonably. You know, a few years ago, I went on a tirade collecting a bunch of the childhood stuff and putting together my binders. And I that was like a four-year process. And I only just finished it in 2022. 
or maybe the very very end of twenty one. But I always said like they should do this. And when they did their when they did that set, it was like this is not exactly what I want. It was nice to see the Sugimori art and the Arita art. That's fun and it's a little blast of nostalgia. But we're at a point now where like you can just cater to a. I don't even want to say it's a boutique market because Pokemon's the biggest franchise of all time, but just give me like three theme decks or whatever. Like just keep doing that for all of the Wizards era Pokemon and that's fine. It doesn't make up for all of the other bad things they've done the last five to eight years, but I'll I'll buy it. I'm a sucker. I like, I you know, cracking a pack and open it up and thumbing through the cards and, you know, six, seven years old, thumbing through on the playground, getting bark dust in your cards like a bunch of heathens, like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm here for it. I still get sweaty palms when I pass like a box of boosters at the checkout at five below or whatever. And I'm like, oh man, it'd be kind of time to just like <laughs> pop one of these and see what I get. Like it's it's just like so see a bunch of names you don't recognize. You're like, oh no. Dude, the community around Pokemon is so insane right now. Like the like COVID brought this insane boom to Pokemon cards in general, but specifically like PSA grading and the, the collector market. I mean, that uh, did not help. But that was that came, you know, uh, two years after this boom started. That was that was two years or a year ago, wasn't it? Was that during the COVID? 2021, yeah. 2021. Okay. So about a year. Doing like live streams of Kraken Packs looking for specific cards. Got that graded Charizard around his neck or as a necklace, that kind of thing. Then he got scammed out of like six figures worth of like unopened booster boxes. Whatever. And then he got his yeah. ass beat last night by Tyson Fury, which was fucking hilarious. That is so far off my radar, dude. But um, my brother's gotten really into the Pokemon stuff. He he was cracking packs and trying to complete sets, Japanese-only sets, you know, whatever. If you have that kind of monkey brain, dude, and you like playing that lottery, and of course, and I said this a million times as a magic collector even, you know, I love playing magic, but I want my full set in a binder laid out, you know, front to back uh, in set order and all these things. And I can't imagine wanting that much just just bad cardboard, you know, <laughs> unplayable trash. And for, for the nostalgic <laughs> stuff, that's one thing. But yeah, I, I thankfully got over that with magic where it's like, I only need what I'm going to play with. And even then it's like, I can just fucking proxy cards to play, you know, or play arena. Like I don't need to just have stacks of shit, but, but you know, there's a market for this. People will buy it for sure. Like I got way into the Yu-Gi-Oh thing more than I did, uh, uh, Pokemon cards that I have. I still have sitting in a tin and I need to just fucking sell it because God knows I'm never going to fucking use it. Like an almost complete set of one of the like early two thousands. I'd have to go like Google the acronym. Cause I don't remember what the three letters in the card set mean anymore, but seriously, I think like 130 out of like 134, 140, 35 cards in the set. But I don't know. I wouldn't even begin to know where to sell it or who to sell it to or like where, where, where the Avenue for that is. But, Oh, well you just go to, you'd go to TCG player and you find the three cards that are actually worth something. And then you go to a card shop and sell those. And then you put everything else in the trash because it's not worth your time ebay or give it away ebay has everything you need maximize your value i do a lot of selling on ebay but i might be interested in buying old Yu-Gi-Oh cards from me i got a stack of old Yu-Gi-Oh cards in the closet that was my next endeavor you know anyway anyway get, get to the rest of this ej maybe we can make a trade maybe i can maybe we can uh do an exchange of goods i'll bring them to the beach and you can tell me what you think you want to give me and we'll we'll I don't know, maybe you got a card or something sitting around that I'm like, oh, I'd have that physical on my shelf. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, here's the thing. Before we get to the Scarlet Viol DLC, the only other thing they showed 
and where I, I'm just going to like offer my ass up to get fucking pounded for my take on this uh, Pokemon sleep. So this has been like vaporware forever where they're like, we're going to make this app. That's going to like have something to do with sleeping. Uh, and, and that has just been non-existent forever. And like in the chat, on YouTube prior to the stream rolling, it was just a bunch of like Pokemon sleep memes and people saying like, give us sleep, blah, blah, blah. I'm so tired. Let me sleep. And that's exactly what they gave to us as they, is that they, they gave us a trailer and like Pokemon sleep is here. It's coming out in July. Uh, there's this whole little game where you set, you set your phone uh, on like your nightstand or whatever. It's going to monitor your sleep. It's going to tell you how deeply you slept in one of three categories, uh, dozing, snoozing, and and slumbering, I think were, were the words for it. Very technical. And then you wake up in the morning and different Pokemon will have appeared on this island based on like how deeply you've slept and they'll be in different sleep poses. And that's sort of the, like the, the completionist aspect of it is that there's all these like different poses that the Pokemon sleep in. And they've got a new device coming out, the hysterically named Pokemon Go Plus Plus, which is the dumbest fucking name I have ever seen in my life. Really? Worse worse than the new Nintendo 3DS? XL. LL in other countries? What about the new Nintendo 2DS XL? A completely different line. This is worse because they're using the same word twice. But they're not even using the same word. They're using the the plus symbol and then the plus written out. One of them being spelled and one of them being written. And it's in like the backwards order. It should be plus letter plus icon. But instead it's plus icon plus letters, which is just, it's just, it's fucking stupid. Uh, I'm going to buy it. (laughs) I'm going to buy it. How much is it retailing? I don't care. I'm buying it. No matter the price. <laughs> I bought a third party Pokemon Go uh, auto catcher. Yeah, I had one of those two, which has been great. You guys are sick. No, it's been great. It's only and like 10 bucks on Amazon, whatever. Yeah, I think I paid like $20 for it and it's worked great for me. Spin stops. Uh, I could set it to uh, only throw it like Pokemon not currently in my decks. Uh, throw it existing cop Pokemon. Uh, spin stops. Don't spin stops. Like whatever I want. Like I can I can set up really, really basic menu. The one problem with it is that it only throws red balls. So I can only use the shittiest Pokeball, and I'm sitting on like hundreds of great and ultra balls, basically at all times, because I'm a fucking sicko, and I can't get rid of anything, and I can't use them. And it's disgusting that I've had to wait seven years this game's been out for them to come out with like a first-party auto-catcher that lets me use great and ultra balls. That is still a massive quality of life improvement, and I'm going to buy that. Not only that... I am going to download Pokemon Sleep and I am going to use it because I genuinely have questions about my sleeping schedule and my sleeping habits. Then see a doctor. Get a sleep study. Why would I do buy that? Buy a Fitbit. Why are you going to buy it? Come on. I am the target audience for this, which is a stupid fucking nerd who's played almost every Pokemon game. And I'm like, that actually is kind of useful for me. So I was like, I, I-, I would low key download that and use that and see see what it tells me. Let me have it. Let me have it. Well, I did this I intentionally. No, please, by all means. Listen, you want to see them a closet full of dumb shit I've purchased? I you, I don't have to. I'm not going to cast aspersions over wanting to buy bad things from companies you like. That's fine. Just don't be like, I, I'm interested in my sleep. You're 31 years old. How interested in your sleep are you if you're waiting for Nintendo to release a shit? To be fair, though, I do want to point out that their pedometer for gold and silver was actually, I think, regarded as one of the most accurate pedometers on the market at the time. So, hey, okay, fine, but don't pretend it's under the guise of, well, I'm interested in my dozing versus my slumber. I am a little bit, though. 
I am a little bit though. <laughs> I, I genuinely am. And if if as a side product Chris. of me buying this little Pokemon Go Plus Plus Ultra Double Triple Deluxe new Nintendo Pokemon Go Plus Double Triple Ultra Deluxe, I also get to hear like Pikachu be like Pika P, let's go to sleep. Like nine year old me is like, oh my god, Pikachu's here with me. I still have my full-size-ass Pikachu stuffed animal I got for my ninth birthday, the same day I got my first Game Boy and my copy of Pokemon Yellow, my first Pokemon game, in my fucking bedroom right now, 21 years later. Never get rid of it. Ever. Never, never, never. That stuffed animal was my best fucking friend when I moved to Oregon and I didn't know anybody. It's like, it's you and me. You know what I love more than playing a bad game that aggravates me? Paying a company to play the bad game that aggravates me for me. So that I don't have to. It's just like a hilarious concept. I love Pokemon Go, but I'm a busy man. I'm a busy man who would like to have some more platinum medals in this game so that I can do the level 45, I think, special research in order to continue progressing where I have to have like 20 or 30 platinum medals. I don't fucking time to spin all these goddamn Pokestops, catch all these goddamn Pokemon. But when I'm in there teaching, I can have the game working for me. And double dipping. And uh, I'm not ashamed of that. I also, I'll, I'll put this on record, like I bought a phone rocker like six months ago so that I could be racking up steps to like hatch eggs and get candy for my Pokemon. I don't fucking time to be out there. I, I, I just don't. I don't. And my exercise is largely anaerobic. So like what? I, I was like, fuck it. You're going to work for me. I'm at work. My phone's on the rocker. I'm getting steps. I'm getting candy. My eggs are hatching. I got no fucking shame about it. I'll say it live on the air. Chris showing his whole ass. <laughs> and it's a great ass. You should be so fucking lucky. I don't know. It might be better if you're getting more steps in, you piece of shit. <laughs> you know what? I don't skip leg day, motherfucker. I squat. I use the glute machine. I'm the only person with a penis I've ever seen use the glute machine at Western Kentucky University for what that's worth. But like daddy knows what he's got. And he's got to maintain it. And he's got to spend money on a new peripheral that does nothing new from the old peripheral except use ultra and great balls. It's a big <laughs> fucking not, difference. They're probably not going to update the hardware. It's not a hardware thing. It's probably just software. Who knows? They're just like, just flipping the switch on the new one because they know they could separate suckers like you from 50 of their hard earned dollars. If it was software, I feel like one of these third party auto catchers would have been able to craft something already by poking around the game's code. You know what I mean? Like and it might. You know, that could be just what they're waiting for it to come out and then they'll flip the switch. And then in a week, someone will have backwards, you know, fucking engineered, reverse engineered it. And now all this weird crap on Amazon and Alibaba will just fucking work. And you're still going to spend $50 on the official one because you want to sleep next to it and have Pikachu talk to you. You're good. <laughs> you sicko. Right. I do. I, I got to respect him, man. He knows what he wants. Yeah. You know, I don't have to respect him, but he does know what he wants. <laughs> I want Pikachu to tell me good night. And I want him to be the first thing I hear in the morning before my wife, before my cat. I want it to oh be fucking God. Pikachu. <laughs> the man's all cheeked up, but all, all them calories have to be going somewhere. And it ain't his brain. If you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's true. No. Smooth as a marble. My man. brain's been <laughs> my brain's been smooth for years. Ever since I got ironed out, poisoned by higher if education. You also, if you want to check out other sleep apps, like I'm pretty sure Google Fit like already has that capability. It's It'll not tell about you how long you sleep. sleep. It's about Pikachu. <laughs> I know it's not about sleep. I know. I don't. I, I don't want Google having my data. I don't want these companies having my sleep data. This is the Pokemon company, the only the only company worth trusting. <laughs> gotta catch them all. Gotta catch all the Z's. Got Pikachu. He's cute. 
All right. Well, this has gone on way longer than I intended it, but it's good theater, so I'll allow it. Um, Oof. Then we got a little bit of Scarlet Violet DLC, and look, it looks fucking stupid. It looks like, well, great, we get five more characters. We're going to go to one little area that's like this old-timey festival. We're going to go to one little area that's this like high-tech water research area. I instantly, instantly, upon seeing this DLC, opened a new tab in my browser, went to fantasycritic.com, went to our whammy getting league and put a fucking bid on that game because that is going to be terrible. What are the odds that they Nick's going to do it right now? What are the odds that they fix their fucking game before this DLC comes out or at least concurrently with the release zero. of this game? Do you think zero? Right. Zero. Cause they've had no yeah. acknowledgement that the game is even bad. Like I, th- I feel like Nintendo of Europe tweeted something at one point that was like, yeah, we know the game is fucking rough. Hopefully it'll get improved, but that's like it. That's what the only acknowledgement from any of the stakeholders involved in this game, that it's an absolute steaming pile of shit because they sold 15 fucking million copies in the first week or whatever the fuck. So who uh, cares? They're making money hand over fist. Sucks. It sucks. It sucks. And I know it's always, oh, Pokemon's not for us anymore, but it has nothing to do with that. Good games are for everyone. Good games, well-made games that were done with care and optimization and giving a fuckedness about the product you put into the world are for everybody. Kids deserve to eat steak too. They don't have to eat fucking <laughs> McDonald's for every meal just because they're kids. It's just really exhausting having to go through this every time Pokemon shows anything. Anytime a game is released, anytime. I mean, it's just a constant state of complaining that this company does something, you know, that's that's poor for their consumers and lamenting that they have not changed or learned any lessons from their previous mistakes. Because, like you said, in, in their eyes, there is no mistake. They sold all of the copies right out of the gate. What, they don't care. And, and I mean, how many copies did, did goddamn Cyberpunk sell? That team has still been dedicated to making that game worth fucking playing. They're still trying to fix it. <laughs> They're still trying to fix yeah. it. How many pre-orders did that game sell? Hogwarts Legacy right now is selling gangbusters, and by all accounts, it is not a very playable experience at the moment with crashes and and performance issues. But like nothing like Pokemon, though. Nothing like Cyberpunk. Every game has bugs, but I think. I think it's a different echelon with with Pokemon and with Cyberpunk. Listen, I watch Digital Foundry for every major release. I want even if I'm not going to play the game, I want to know what's cooking under the hood. So Digital Foundry comes out 24 48 hours after a game was released and they give me the goods. Pokemon really was a whole different level. They thrashed that game. And and they're not ones really to bring commentary to their technical breakdown videos they do a little bit but i think it's it's like reasonable and measured and they they have explanations for for their for their beliefs especially i remember uej being a a crusader against motion blur in games and they are most of them are strong proponents of enjoyers of the motion blur and that it can actually smooth out some rough uh movement visibility do you remember when sword and shield were getting ready to come out And there was all this fucking scuttlebutt about, oh my God, they cut the fucking decks. Oh my God, they're lying to us about the reasons for cutting the decks. They're reusing animations. They could have put all these Pokemon in. You remember all the shit that people were complaining about with Sword and Shield? Remember how Sword and Shield was, by all accounts, a very well executed game in terms of what they wanted to do technically and what they wanted to do with 
the 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 wild area and what they wanted to do in terms of trying to incorporate parts of Let's Go, which is the most successful Pokemon game in like 15 years into the mainline franchise. I remember that game looking like booty butt cheeks though. But it didn't. And even Scarlet and Violet despite despite its its rendering it's like rendering and running issues has a much more cohesive art style and a art direction that is actually pleasant to look at when it's actually showing up correctly on your screen. I can't agree with that. I I thought that I, I thought Sword and Shield was fine. I thought Sword and Shield looked fine. And it certainly didn't suffer from a lot of the problems that even like Pokemon Legends did with its visual with its visual performance. But here's the point I'm making with all this. All these people so fucking pissed off. Oh my God, Game Freak this. Oh my God, Game Freak that. Oh my God, they're lying to us. Oh my God, this game isn't going to look good. And 14 fucking million copies of Scarlet and Violet still fly off the shelves in the first fucking week. Where are you now, Internet Warriors? Where are you now when it's actually a bad product and it actually crashes and it actually has sprites clipping through the fucking world? And it actually has Pokeballs flying all over the place and capture animations that won't finish. Where the fuck are you now? Well, the 20,000 people that are mad about the old one are mad about this one, too. And that doesn't matter when there's 20 million kids that just don't give a shit. But they're still playing it is the point I'm making. And, and this is my problem with like larger Internet discourse about anything is that all these fucking people who love to raise a fucking fuss are still going to buy the fucking game because they're fucking marks and they played every single one in the franchise. But I swear to fucking God. This is the straw that broke the camel's back for me, and I've been defending this franchise forever. And I'm just... And the gall you have to give me the crown of this whole wet fart of a Pokemon Presents is some shitty DLC for a shitty fucking game that you can't even bother to acknowledge as a broken fucking product because you're making money hand over fist. Like, how fucking far are we fallen? I'm just sad. I'm just fucking sad. First Pokemon game I haven't played in my entire fucking life, a mainline entry. And I'm probably never going to. And that's really, really, really goddamn depressing to me. I am so sick of the people in my life coming to me and saying, oh, no, no, no. But it's really the best Pokemon game they've made in a while. You have to play. No, I don't. It's rated lower than like the Mystery Dungeon games, which are the fucking black sheep of. But again, it doesn't matter how bad a game is. They're going to sell if uh, if 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 the Pokemon company puts the weight of their marketing behemoth behind it. And so it's just, I'm sick of hearing it. I'm not giving that company any more of my money to, you know, in regards to their, to their broken games. And, and even when the games run, okay, you know, then we start talking about all of the issues the games actually have from like a substance standpoint, you know, like sword and shield were like fine game. Like they're, they're just, it just doesn't move the needle. They ran fine. They're, they're ugly just cause they're like gray pixely, like jank fests whatever they're they're janky and they're they're gross to look at but like it was it's just pokemon and if you like pokemon like you're gonna like that game i guess but scarlet and violet was just a whole new low and the fact that they're you know more concerned with making investors happy and hitting their timeline their schedule every year with you know new releases instead of actually making something that's worth playing and and we've talked about it a million times with you know Nintendo and Nintendo adjacent franchises, they just, they could almost do no wrong. People in the review space, they'll forgive anything if it's their cute, cuddly, colorful characters uh, in a way that a lot of other franchises from a lot of other companies, they do not get that grace. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't get that grace. They should not. Welcome to the dark side, my friend. Welcome to the dark side. And you know what? 
I feel for all of the all 14 of the Mystery Dungeon fans who were convinced that all these different leaks and trademark and yada yada that they were getting a new Mystery Dungeon game announced at this uh, event next time, guys. How did that remake even sell? Did that even did they even give uh, updated numbers past the first quarter? I don't know how it sold, but it reviewed horribly. But that uh, clearly doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah, that's not the question I was asking, so I don't know. You're the, you're my numbers guy. You're my eyes and ears. With the spreadsheets. I know that new Pokemon Snap didn't uh, perform extraordinarily well. That's so bizarre. It is. I bought it. You look at the crap they shovel out and people will buy. Is it strictly a marketing? Is it just a cost of, of advertisement that they're not putting into these games? Probably a little bit of that. I would imagine that that game would have sold demonstrably better at $40 than 60 but that is true. Now they're, they're on a platform where 60 is the baseline. They're not going to sell anything for less than 60. I mean, they try to sell Mystery Dungeon for 60. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that is not a $60 game. The informed consumers, you know, the three of us, we know better. They're not making their bread and butter. The real cash flow is not coming from informed consumers. It's coming from parents. It's coming from children who ask grandma and grandpa to buy them their Christmas present. No one, oh, Pokemon Snap shouldn't be $60. It's Pokemon. It's a video game of course it's $60 so like I agree with you that like you know I, I think that was an overpriced game but the people they're selling to don't have a clue what that means Mystery Dungeon such a such a weird sort of spinoff it's like in the same sort of echelon as Pokemon Conquest which is one of your favorite games EJ but great game Mystery Dungeon being like a Sheer and the Wanderer sort of dungeon crawling first person spinoff with Pokemon and Conquest being uh, Nobunaga's ambition the tile based like turn-based tactics game mixed with Pokemon. But uh, just looking it up really quick, the last time they reported was the quarter that the game came out and it was at 1.89 million copies, which is like a huge success for a normal franchise. But for Pokemon, that is something that will sweep under the rug and then uh, never acknowledge existed. Same with new Pokemon Snap, which hit 2.4 million copies, which is almost as much as Metroid Dread, but that's a huge failure. To Pokemon. I don't get it. I don't get that one specifically because Nintendo fans keep telling Nintendo to make more of the games that they love from their childhood. And Nintendo's like, all right, bet we'll make a sequel to a two hour Pokemon Snap experience that's gorgeous and substantive and does everything that the original Snap does, but updated for Switch and gave me the like motion control. I can like hold the switch and move it like a fucking camera in three dimensions. Everything I could have wanted from that 2.4 million copies. You go on a Nintendo switch subreddit and every other day it's someone asking for F zero. You know why they haven't made F zero? Cause F zero is bad and has sold 14 copies across its lifetime. There's a reason Nintendo doesn't do it. And, and the vocal plugged in community is not representative of the market. And Nintendo knows that, you know, we, the, the mother three memes are flying around. Every, everybody who's ever watched Nintendo direct knows mother three but that's nobody. That's not the people buying the games and shoveling money into their freaking trucks. And the people memeing it are not the ones that are actually buying Earthbound when that gets put on Wii U no. or Earthbound <laughs> right. Beginnings when they finally release that translation. And like they use that data. I mean, they know how many people are playing these games. And obviously, if the virtual console was such a big success on the Wii, it would have been continued onto the Switch. But it's not. So we get the weird crap that Nintendo finds under the couch and some first-party games if they're feeling generous. And when September rolls around and it's time to re-up the subscription, they might put out something that's like maybe worth your time or at least worth investigating. But it's, uh, yeah, it's dire out there. Something that I've noticed and have thought about in recent months is like 
the difference in philosophy between a company like Sony and a company like Microsoft and and then Nintendo is, I mean, Sony had big hurdles in the mid-aughts. Uh, Microsoft fumbled the bag in 2013 and has been slowly recovering. So like these companies are not infallible. But the difference in philosophy when looking at like their services and their games and the consumer experience is they're not focusing on any one specific thing, right? They're not looking at this one little aspect and saying, well, that was uh, technically a failure, so never think about it again. It's about the package as a whole. And certain things don't appeal to everybody. Certain things may not be, you know, crushing the charts. Nintendo, they look at everything in a vacuum, it seems, and all of their decisions are strictly based on numbers. And at the end of the day, that's any company. But you have people running these companies uh, outside of Nintendo who realize that like it's the whole experience. And mm-hmm. if the whole experience is good, like we have to cater to all these different pockets. And that's why it's like, all right, we're going to charge you 60 to to $100 a year or whatever for our whole package. And so now it's profitable for us, even if... Not everything is for everyone. And Nintendo doesn't look at it like that. At least it doesn't seem. We are trying to appeal to the lowest common denominator. And anytime something doesn't immediately outperform, like you said, Nick, some of those numbers, like that's a, a rousing success for any other company. But for Nintendo, Pokemon Let's Go is a failure. And it's a top 10 selling game on the console. You know, that's insane. I don't think Let's Go is a failure. I just don't know if they want to continue that style of remake into the future because they don't I don't I don't see them wanting to have three continuations of like we've got the main series we've got the remake of the main series and then we've got the remake the let's go remake especially since Pokemon Go is not nowhere near where its peak was four years ago when that game came out and to be fair uh these are what we're talking about a lot you know with the Pokemon company we shouldn't necessarily lump in whole cloth with Nintendo because that is, while that is a first party game, there's never been a Pokemon title on another console and there's never going to be. Uh, they are independently owned and operated. They run their own show. They have a lot of their own like unique inherent problems. For sure. And they do influence each other. I think Nintendo wants to copy what Pokemon Company does as far as how they're expanding into other media ventures. And Pokemon has laid up a, a very strong template for how to have a show and a movie series and a trading card game and merch and games that all feed into each other. And I think that's something that Nintendo wants to copy. And Pokemon Company has a lot of similar staff as far as people that started at Nintendo and then ended up being bigwigs at Pokemon Company or Game Freak or Creatures, which you know is the triumvirate of that franchise as well. So there's definitely crossover, but yeah, they are separate, but but cousins and close it's, it is very easy to get them all conflated because it's it's so a lot of the things that you complain about one is eerily applicable to the yeah, other. It's deeply interrelated. Um, and you're right. It is. It is. It is the number 10 selling switch game. Pokemon. Let's go uh, weirdly right behind ring fit adventure would have which I would not have pulled out of a hat as the number nine best selling switch game ever. <laughs> yeah, uh, that game really blew up over covid. Uh, but it is. Um yeah, three Pokemon titles in the in the top ten: Sword and Shield, Scarlet. And not Violet. far below. Let's go is the uh, Legends Arceus and the BDSP. Remakes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's knocking on the door. Um, which is just it's just wild. It's just wild. They'll literally buy it. No matter no matter what it is, what it looks like, how bad it is. Which thankfully, when it comes to like first party Nintendo titles on the Switch, we have not really had to deal with. 
Like they bid good products. Sports. Yeah. Well, other than the sports games. Yeah. Like the, the switch sports was, was fucking God awful, but Mario, Zelda, Metroid, Animal Crossing, Kirby, quality experiences, cross board, regardless of whether or not you think they're legendary titles. Um, don't need to relitigate that, but the quality experiences. If only Pokemon could meet that bar. Wouldn't that just be so nice? It would be so nice. And the best thing, honestly, that could happen to the Pokemon company, which will never happen because they're worth a fucking grillion dollars, would be for Nintendo to just buy them out. Just buy them out, right? Or up their stake. Yeah. Or just do something so that you could have somebody in that fucking room going, this game is inexcusably bad. <laughs> like, you need to apologize. You need to fix it. And this cannot happen again. Sony needs to pony up $1 trillion and buy every Nintendo and Nintendo adjacent property and put them out of business forever and do justice to 80% of their properties that are either neglected or just get bad games. Uh, yeah, great. Zelda did something good once in the last 10 years. Sick. Give it to a company who makes consistently good games and gives a shit. Let's get our let's get our gritty Mario open world game that's a 90 hour experience. Nobody fucking wants that. Come on. Sony would not know what to do with Nintendo properties whatsoever. Maybe Insomniac could make a good like Mario game, but nobody else that they have could. No, it's no, that's that's a terrible idea. I maybe like six or seven years ago. Yeah, I'd have agreed with you, but no, absolutely not. I don't agree with that at all. Because they're still fun games, like Pokemon talk aside. If Sony wants to buy Pokemon, I'll buy Pokemon on PS5. That sounds fucking tight. Like, I'll do that any day of the week. But no, I don't need a fucking Legend of Zelda that's like a, I don't know. Breath of the Wild was like a 200, 300 hour game, if you really put the I would in. love if Pokemon Company trusted their RPG line more to external developers. Like, outside of putting a remake on a weird port studio and it churning out like understandably pretty poor, like not great, but not like terrible with uh, brilliant diamond shining pearl. But imagine if a competent RPG studio made a Pokemon game, like if square Enix or Atlas or monolith soft or literally anybody besides Pokemon company. I mean, it would be a smaller scope probably, but it would probably be actually interesting. That's how I feel about literally anything that is not a platformer from Nintendo. Anything that is not Mario or Kirby, I guess, there are a hundred other studios that could do it better. Nah, Luigi's Mansion is goaded, bro. Luigi's Mansion, Metroid. Chris said the best Metroidvania game is not Metroid or Castlevania. Hollow Knight. <laughs> yeah, so. Anyway, golly, we, we all were sitting on uh, a lot of feelings about uh, Pokemon. I'm glad that we gave them space to breathe. Uh, I'm sure there's some fat to be cut from that, but let's talk about The Last of Us. Uh, episode 7, Left Behind, was exactly what we expected it to be. It was our second bottle episode uh, where we got a flashback that adapts the Left Behind DLC from the original game, uh, bookended by a continuation of Episode 6 of Ellie, has his, his drug Joel. We open and we see this, this track in the snow with blood trailing to the garage, which players of the game will recognize as like very, very similar to the location that Ellie stashed Joel in the winter section of the last of us. Uh, and Joel telling her to just leave to go back North, go find Tommy, leave him to die. Uh, and before we get a clear sense of what Ellie's going to do, we, we flashback and we get uh, left behind. Um, I'll open up broadly here. Um, 
I thought this was a weak episode for a lot of reasons. I think that, and this is without me having, I've never played Left Behind. I know what happens in Left Behind and the extent of my knowledge uh, was pretty much played out for me in the show. Um, but I thought that uh, after the, uh, other than the bookends of the beginning and ending where we're seeing Joel, uh, uh, Ellie tending to Joel, um, including a great, oh, really like scene at the end of her sewing up his stab wound with like upholstery thread, like just, just like needle, and like a suture and just like Pedro Pascal grunting and being goaded and grabbing a hold of her and, and all that stuff. Um, when we were in left behind proper, um, boy, the dialogue was bad. And this is the first time other, like some moments, notwithstanding like the four walled box Kathleen speech that even I was like, eh, this is not great. This is the first time that I, that I could just see the writing. Teenage dialogue in general is really hard to write and also to sell. Absolutely. And Ellie, I, I have bought almost everything that's come out of Ellie's mouth through the course of this year. So I thought that Bella Ramsey is so fucking good that she made a lot of this dialogue work, which was a Herculean task. The actor who played Riley, uh, I did not feel was up to the same task. Uh, and it, I was just kind of like, oh, no. And come to find out later. This is the only episode in the first season that was not written by Craig Mazin, and it fucking shows. It fucking shows. EJ, you're going to burst. Let me have it. It's funny. Even Sarah, you know, who's not really plugged into, she's, you know, she watches some pretty questionable television content, but even she watched Riley's character and said she was really good on, uh, was it Euphoria she was on? Uh, that sounds right. I don't know. Sounds what, right. I mean, HBO. One of those shows. Cross casting there. Yeah, and she said this is surprising because she is not this bad of an actor, and that's just a testament to the bad writing. And I've I've said it before without bringing receipts because like I'm not writing down every time I hear a line that makes me cringe. But everyone from Ellie to Pedro Pascal to you know Tommy and Maria in the last episode, like there are these moments where characters are not talking the way people talk; they're talking the way people write sentences. And I, of all people, know even better than anybody here. I can sound pretty damn eloquent when I want to when I'm writing. The things that come out of my mouth right out of the dome, that ain't how it works. Um, and so you can see when those things are like, oh, that's that's clunky or that's weird. Pedro Pascal can say something clunky that makes me think like, eh, I don't like that. But when it's half the episode and it's two children going back and forth and it's just like grating, it, it, it just needles in your ears after a while. Well, let's not lump Bella Ramsey in with Storm Reed. I think that there, there was a clear, a clear and present distinction between the quality of those two performances. A lot of which, which I said to you over text had to do with the writing and she got the short end of the stick. Storm Reed did in terms of like the dialogue that just was j just so clunky and prosaic and not like speech at all. Uh, like there's one moment they're like walking on the, the roofs and she's like, well, number one, duh, 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 duh. And number two, here's the next thing we're going to do. And I just went, Jesus fucking Christ, who was in that writer's room? Like they should be slapped. They should be struck with fists. Like what, what the fuck were you thinking? This is bad. Storm Reed clearly showed by the end of the episode that she had some chops. And, and again, Sarah looked over and said, oh, yeah, this is more like what I expected. Right, but you so. can't overcome really bad writing, no matter how good you are. And again, I thought Bella Ramsey was great. I bought pretty much everything that she said, even, even though some of the dialogue, I was like, oh, that's really cringy. A lot of her nonverbal work through the whole episode, crystal fucking clear without being like, 
beating us over the head as an audience with a foam mallet, just enough for us to go, oh, that was really interesting. Oh, that was really interesting. Oh, like I get, I get what's happening here. It's very clear to me. And you're not trying, you're not trying to do it. You're just doing it. It was really forced. And this late in the season, it was like, why are we doing a flashback now? Besides just doing it because there's a DLC for it. Like this, this episode didn't need to happen. It should have happened sooner and in smaller doses. Yeah. Like we could have had like bits, like take out excise all the stuff that did work from this episode, like the very few bits of it and sprinkle it in as like flavoring as they've done with all the other sort of flashback sequences, but it didn't need to be a dedicated episode. Kidding me? Episode seven. I'm not worried about the pacing of this show in the same way that EJ has been. In fact, I think your exact words to me last night were, how are they going to do the rest of the show in two episodes? And I'm like, the only things that they have left to do in this show that matter are the lodge with the cannibals and the lab. From a plot perspective, but from the pacing and, 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 and the character beats, like this whole episode, we went away from our main characters again. Well, we were with Ellie the whole time. Let's let's not say we were from away from our main characters. What what did this episode illuminate that we didn't already infer about her character? And they really could have like they could have shown uh, Ellie and Riley's relationship in previous episodes and have like these like sprinkled in sort of flashbacks, sort of like you know this to that sort of showing. You know, you show one thing, you show another thing, and then that impacts what you showed before. And they could have ended like they could have like squeezed this entire episode into. Ellie leaving Joel cut to Ellie and Riley Riley them talking about their options for what they do after they've just been bit and then her coming back like that's all the episode matters everything else could have been sprinkled in throughout the the season before this and I know Chris wouldn't like me to say what they could have done but like that was the only part that mattered in this episode was her making that decision and that was the reflection of this entire moment but like all the 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 cringy writing did not reflect well on the moments of joy they were trying to achieve. Like they're trying to show Ellie and Riley having this like fun time and having this date, this like this realization of their relationship growing and then it just coming crashing down to earth and then having that choice and making that choice. And that's what this, the series is also about. It's about making choices, making the hard choice, making the right choice. So that reflection works, but that's like the end of the episode. And that's the buildup was not worth the payoff. I agree. And I know, I know we joke about me going like, don't tell me what you would have done. But the, the fact of the matter is there was no, to me, there was no clear thematic connection to the bookends of this episode and the bulk of the episode, like literally at all. And if the bookend you're going to give Very us loose, is yeah. Ellie hitting, like getting to the door and, oh, is she going to run or not? And the last thing we see with her and Riley is... We never had that doubt to begin with either. Well, not really. And then presumably after after the end of the last episode where Ellie's like, I want you to come with me. Like, she's not going to go fucking running to Tommy. Like, no way. Exactly. And the last thing we see in the left behind section is Ellie and Riley sitting with each other, presumably making the pledge to each other that they're going to be there for each other until the end of the turn, which is exactly what she does with Joel. So why are you, I don't, I don't get like, what's, what's the development here? Like, did she run in the past and now she's making the choice not to. And that's what we're seeing. Like I didn't get the connection other than, well, we have to keep the story going. We can't just do a whole ass bottle episode in episode seven. Imagine if they had this intertwined in with Sam and Henry, as opposed to the weird Kathleen thing, like that is a much more like literal, maybe it's too close of a mirror, like having those two sort of 
wait for the other person to turn moments. But I mean, at least thematically it would have fit a little bit closer. It would have made way more sense. And honest to God, I thought that they were going to inter inter uh, sperse twine intersperse. Thank you that they were going to intersperse this with the winter section when Ellie is alone. And so we would have gotten more stuff with Ellie hunting Ellie looking for medicine all of those things. And then we see these moments of the last time that she has trusted someone and how that ended. And Oh my God, that she's trusting again. Wow. And again, now I'm doing the thing I say not to do where I'm like playing armchair editor, but I, I, I could have sworn I'm doing the EJ thing where I'm like, that's what they're going to do. And then they didn't do it. And I'm pissed off. Um, no, I did. I just like, I don't know what they set out to do with this episode other than to give us like, Another tragic gay love story. And now I'm kind of starting to buy some of the arguments that circulated online after episode five, where it's like, okay, so we've got like two gays doing a suicide pact. We've got two dead black guys. We've got a dead black girl in the first episode. Now we've got another dead black queer girl after episode seven. And I'm like, much of this is thematically appropriate, but this one just, I don't, I don't fucking get what they were doing with this episode. Low point, low point of the season. It is a interesting story as far as how it informs our one of our main characters' motivations. And, and when you get to play it as DLC after the main game eight years ago or whatever, uh, ten years ago, I don't know when that was that when that came out. Um, but it's just a it's just a little four hour DLC. It's not like you know, and for them to turn it into a whole episode right at the end of of this story. And and I said earlier. You know, I'm worried about the pacing and the character beats because like now with two episodes left and the next episode presumably is mostly Ellie alone again, at least it, it you would think it would be. We really we did a complete speed run on the growth between Ellie and Joel. We have basically two episodes where they have no relationship whatsoever. And then, you know, your cargo. And then we have a Bill episode where we don't even see the two of them until the very end. And then we have the episode where things start to grow a little bit. They get some of the jokes in. They get into a little bit of trouble. Ellie shoots the guy. Great. We're seeing a little bit of development. And then we time travel. And now we're seeing a much looser relationship, a little more paternal on on Pedro Pascal's part. And then the stuff we see with Henry and Sam and Kathleen, we go away from them again. and, And it becomes much more about the plot beats than about the development between these two characters. And then we go away from them again. And I like from a bird's eye perspective, like there are a lot of good things. Like you said, it bookended, like seeing the two of them, Joel telling her to leave because he, he, he's not worried about himself at this point. He's worried about her. Like, that's great. But I'm like, did we really earn all of this? We saw their moment at the end of the last episode. And Nick, you said you wish you kind of would have seen a little more of how we kind of got there. And I'm, I'm now looking back at the rest of this series through seven episodes. And I'm like, man, I just, I just don't, love how they've pieced this all together and now Joel's going to be out of commission for most of the next episode and then we're in spring and we got to get right to the fucking action you know they'll have the draft moment and they'll have a conversation about what happened probably at at Tommy and Maria's place and whatever but like I just I don't know if I buy their relationship and if that's going to give me the payoff the way I was anticipating maybe in in week four you know I just I don't know and I'm I'm concerned about it look at where we've left them we left them with you know, Joel trying to do the selfless thing, right? Ellie coming back, stitching him up that beautiful, beautiful fucking moment where he just involuntarily has taken her hand and they both kind of realize that. And we see her like fingers curl and like hold. And I'm like, Oh my, that cracked me the fuck open. I was like, golly, that's beautiful and makes perfect sense given where we're at now. And remember also 
where we're going to end episode eight, presumably at the end of the sequence at the lodge with the cannibals is Joel, who is hobbled as fuck, who is still badly injured, shuffling his way in there to save Ellie from a grisly fucking fate and holding her while she cries and whispering, it's okay, baby girl, it's okay, baby girl, it's going to be okay. Like that is going to be a hell of a moment that I think will go a long way to, we jump into spring in episode nine, we get why he's like, no, absolutely not. This isn't happening. So no, I see, I, I'm not willing to go there yet, EJ. I want to see the last two episodes. You're more, you're, you're becoming more convincing by the week because I was not a fan of this, this episode and it did give me pause, but I'm still willing to wait it out. I still think there's enough material left that will make, make sense in the scope of this. Nick, I want to kick it to you though. We've been over here killing each other as per usual. You're both right in that the moments have been phenomenal, but there's just been a lot of filler and that is painful. Like that hurts the overall experience. So like you're both it's somewhere in the middle is where the truth lies. So it's just about, about how affected you are by the moments and how affected you are by the filler that will sort of color your, your expectations and your experience. Uh, for me, I've found the moments to be good and the filler to be boring but not anything that like is concerning me or making me worried about how they're going to stick the landing. I feel like eight and nine uh, just based on content will be better episodes than where we've been because we've been in the filler part of the game. So it makes (laughs) sense that we're getting a bunch of filler crap in the story. Like we didn't need left behind. We didn't need this, this episode at all. Pretty much. It's just, we had to because it was in the game and it was DLC and the fans expected it. And like, honest to God, as you say that Nick, that I just have this like flashbulb moment in my head where thinking of like thematic connections and we didn't need this episode. We really don't season two needed this episode. When Ellie and Dina start to circle each other and start to become romantically involved. That is where we needed this episode because that makes way more fucking sense thematically and in development of Ellie's character in like trying to love someone again, that makes way more sense to me. This season did not need this episode. I think, I think you're right. It's tough. There are a lot of what ifs. We can sit here and litigate every little beat and, and, and say what we would do differently. But like, as far as, as it exists, like it, it would have been better probably sometime before or immediately following like when Ellie had to shoot the guy and they have the conversation she says that, you know, it's not the first time, you know, I've lost people to whatever, maybe closer back there or before we see, you know, this informs the decision that she makes when Joel says to leave him like before all that. But yeah, again, it could have been condensed looking at seven episodes, knowing we have two left. I, I, I look at it and think what I said a few weeks ago about this being just sort of a masturbatory exercise for at least one person running the show and, and more about putting their mark on something than like telling something really faithful and cohesive. Like I, I feel stronger in those feelings. And so like, and I'm being hyperbolic, but like I half expect to see a fucking Nolan North backstory in the next episode. We're going to see this fucking lawyer with a family instead of Ellie. And then we'll, we'll, then we'll have to try to empathize with the fucking, the man eater. It's a moral gray area, whether it's okay to eat people. Okay. You know, you have to really dive into the nuance. He's a man eater. <laughs> I mean, Chris, every time you've like, you said, well, this is where they're definitely going. This is where they have to go. I feel like you've gotten me on board and then been wrong. Not, not to any fault of your own. Just do I need to go through my text messages and show you where I told you weeks ago, the exact order that this was going to go. And then 
it is exactly the order that it went in. Like, what, what do you okay, mean? Your, your, your predictions aren't exactly, in that regard, are not exactly bold. It's following the timeline of the video game. Oh, oh it's going to end with Joel and Ellie, and they're going to have this moment together. And I'm like, are they? Are they, Chris? Or are we just going to do some other weird fucking Kathleen bullshit or some Frank and Beans bullshit or some goddamn fucking left-behind bullshit that I don't give a shit about? in lieu of the things that I do care about, that they could do really well. And I know that this is the part of the game where Pedro Pascal is supposed to be hurt, but it's just like, man, a whole episode where he's hurt, and then we're going to get a whole other episode where he's hurt. That's just such a, a fucking void. Guess what, EJ? He's fucking worm food one episode into season two. So they need to give us more That's Ellie away from Joel. That'll be the penultimate episode of... Season two. That'll be the end. I'm with Nick. I'm fully on board. Three. Yeah. Season three. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board with you now, man. Look how much filler was in this season. They could fill it with so much. Oh, yeah. We were like, why are we getting all this, all this Ellie time by herself? Because she's got to carry a whole fucking season by herself. That's why. Plus Abby. That's why. It's clear as day. They are getting the audience ready to accept Ellie as our primary protagonist. That is what they are doing. I love a lot of the decisions they made with you know how they've humanized Joel's character, but I just early on episode three maybe I was like this is my this is my Joel now, but like uh, the last three or four episodes I'm like I don't am I, am I am I I don't know if I'm that attached to this guy at this point. I just and it's not his fault. I'm just I'm just I just don't know what they're doing. And I you know we talked about how this this is the one this is it this is the best video game like maybe technically, but I, I have pretty much been flatlined since like. And we had a little bit of a spike with the 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 Sam and Henry stuff, but I just I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is like a properly executed show. It's fine. Even that to me, like it's 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 weird how that was so effective to you, and it was like it was okay to me. Like that that episode is like a few steps above this episode as far as okay, yeah, they showed the thing, but like episode six was like where it was actually you know Joel showing his vulnerability and him actually being a person as opposed to stoic. Gruffman playable character at the back of Joel's head for 20 hours in the last of us, you know, like that's where he actually became a person. And then that in proxy will make you care about Ellie because you are rooting for Joel, which is how they're going to set up Ellie being the person you really, really care about because you're going to see him lose his goddamn mind in the end of episode eight and presumably most of episode nine. Sure. Those moments really worked for me in the last episode. It was, again, everything that kind of surrounded it and leaving me with more questions than answers, I guess. And, and the, the moments... Those crossfades really took you out. Dude, we don't need to rehash the last episode, but yeah. I know, I know. They're not doing enough to make those moments worth it. And, and part of it, too, is it's, it is writing and it is performance. Like, the Sam and Henry stuff got me because their performances were spectacular. And so I, I believed everything that was happening with them. With Riley, not not so much. Like when the, at the end, when we got that really great performance, as they both realized without saying anything, what the fuck happened? They've both been bit, and the, you know Ellie loses her mind, and Riley just starts crying, and, and and when they have that talk, I'm like, this is this is well executed, but I don't feel anything. I don't care at this point. I don't care. And yeah. and can we even, can we just touch on like I, I don't remember the exact details of the game, which actually I, I I'm glad finally I don't remember the exact details of Left Behind. But I thought the way that they did, like, you know, the the weird, creepy cutaway and we push into the doll fucking factory and we see the the guy stuck on the... I'm like, this is... Oh, cornball. <laughs> tonally, 
whiplash. This is left field. I, I know why they did it because they set up the moment with the the Halloween store, the doll screaming. But that was so. What a dumb reason to blow that when you could have literally just had like she hears the doll and she runs. We don't need the like dramatic irony of oh maybe that's the infected because right. then when it does come in, we're gonna wonder is that another toy? And then oh shit, that's an infected. Because we already know it's supposed to be full of infected. It was just totally amateur. It was just, it was grade school bullshit. Yeah, it was bad. It was, it was, it was really bad. And in the moments like that, that just make me say, man, I just don't care about what else is happening here. And, and I am a stickler about these kind of things in, in like a lot of shows. And which is why it's such a testament to a show like, you know, Chris, we spent a lot of time texting about Better Call Saul. Yeah. God damn. Like, I know that you can't take the absolute top tier of filmmaking literally like one of the best shows that's ever been on television. It's, it's a fucking unfair, it's an unfair comparison. Like this is, I that's know. not, that's not the territory we should be speaking about this, this particular show. And I think despite ourselves, we sort of bought into the idea that this could be like a massive, like critical success, which it probably still will be in some regards. Like it'll, it'll, it'll get some hardware for sure. It's just when they do succeed, they, they succeed pretty well. And it's like very captivating. It's thrilling. It's intense. I mean, and this episode wasn't like without high points. Like I really, I really liked the moment of Ellie in the principal's office as it were. (laughs) Like I thought that was, I thought that was nice. I thought that was like a good building of her character and her sort of backstory, like who she is and like, and her defending of Fedra like makes more sense because of that, that interaction, you know? See that this is a perfect example where like the moment on paper Yes, this is a great way to build this world and to, and to inform this character's motivations. But then you get this awful monologue from that officer. Yeah, it was bad. I'm just like, this is, I can't watch this. And then, same moment later when, like, somebody who just Wikipedia fascism and, and took the top three bullet points, and then they're like, all right, let's, let's do this subplot about Riley wanting to fucking bomb Fedra. And, like, she's sleeping with the bombs in this mall and they have this fucking awful exchange. And I'm like, it's a similar feeling to like when I watch a show like Yellowstone and I'm like, Oh, this is just some fucking Hicks wet dream about like the vegans going to come to town and, and learn about how we love our animals. And then she's going to be a fucking Republican. Like it was that surface shallow. Like, like I said, just the, 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 the cliff notes of hey, what's fascism. Let's do this. Riley, you're a fucking, you're a Unabomber. They set up this whole relationship around this conflict of like, oh, I joined the Fireflies and that's stupid and yada yada. But like the fucking pipe bomb, I just, I just, I laughed out loud. I just can't care. I just didn't care about anything this fucking episode, man. And I, I have a hard time looking at the next two weeks and saying like, yeah, I'm excited for those. I just, I don't care. Sunday will come. We'll watch it. We'll talk about it. I hope that the episode can change my mind, but I just don't give a shit right now. This episode had zero forward momentum too at the end. Like you, you would think, oh, she's stitching up a hole in like, Joel, the person that we care about the most, it's like his his tummy has been stabbed goodly, and we don't care at the end of the episode. Like I, I don't really care, which is totally not the reaction they want. Not where you want to be. Well, and for an added moment, especially like the way that it's executed in the game is, we're just like, is he dead? Is she alone? What's going on? And then we come back and go, oh fuck, now I understand. And I liked some of the beats with this change but ultimately yeah it's hard to it's hard to have the same same impact i do want to give bella ramsey her flowers here because a lot of what she did non-verbally as you pointed out chris 
was awesome. There, there were there were really believable moments where, from a dialogue perspective, like the romance seemed very forced, very stilted. Uh, and then they do the kiss, which always kiss kiss between anybody. Most of the time, just feels awkward and out of place. Like it, they they didn't have a a more nuanced, not even nuanced way. You didn't have a, just a more artful way of being like these characters care for each other than like the awkward kiss right before something dramatic happens. You gotta have it. It's too it's too seminal to like the life of a young person. That's the whole point of the DLC. Is like is the first kiss and the discovery of oh I do feel this way. And what that means for like these two young women who love each other specifically, like you, you got to have it. They could have done it better, but you got to have it. I don't disagree from a broad stroke perspective, but again, their relationship felt very conflicted the whole time. Even the Fedra Firefly stuff aside, it was like, do these people like each other? You know what I mean? It just felt like they kind of were like dicks to each other. Like when they say, oh, my best friend, like that's this is how my brother and I act to each other. Like, yeah, writing like bad. Being, dicks to each other sure and then but then bella ramsey starts to sell a lot of the nonverbal stuff where where she's reacting to the world that that riley is unveiling for her you know and they go to each little spot ellie is selling it bella ramsey is selling it and that was that was good i was like okay at least there's something of substance here uh i believed it when she was having these childlike reactions to the things riley showed her and and the little nuances things like in the photo booth and her body language, you could tell, I'm like, okay, she's got feelings for this person, but she doesn't understand him yet. And then the way she awkwardly is like, please get off me because she's freaked out by those. I mean, she sold that. And that could have been as clunky as the dialogue. It could have felt a little ham-fisted. At least somebody was able to do something with what they were given this episode. She's a great fucking actor. I've been saying it since the first episode. She's a great fucking actor. Has nailed every moment that she's been handed in the show, in my opinion. Not a fucking false note, except for some of the F-bombs in the very first episode. I was like, all right, maybe maybe working a little hard here in terms of telling us how tough you are. But after that, I was like, nope, I'm on the train. I'm on the train. And she's only going to get better. She's only going to get better. And she is like a 20-year-old adult and will have another like year-ish, year and a half before they get season two in the can. Um, I want to... I don't think we need to have this 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 conversation now, but I think that when we do the season finale recap, I think we need to have, you know, like portion A, where we have uh, some as of yet unannounced guests that will be joining us. And then uh, we kick them out so they don't get spoiled. And we do a little bit of prognosticating about season two. It's a friend of mine, very, very good friend of mine, Nate Nathaniel Dallas, who I hold a very, very, very high esteem artistically. He's an actor I'd cast in anything. I think that his his takes on film, television, anything involving like acting, the creation of like media uh, are, are generally unimpeachable. Um, he just finished part two. He had just played part one to get ready for the show. And I was like, I really think you need to finish part two by like episode eight or you may be at risk of getting some stuff spoiled. He just finished, uh, just finished the game. And I've been waiting because I, wa I wanted to ask him some of the questions that we had said in the first recap episode of the podcast from like, is it going to be Abby season, Ellie season? Is it going to be interwoven together where it's like one big season? So I was like, Nate, so you're in the pitch room with Craig Mason and Neil Druckmann. Are you doing split seasons? Are you doing one that under inter interweaves? Are you doing two where we get like a big event in the middle and then we move through and we can, we continue interweaving. Then we do Santa Barbara. And he said, 
I don't have a fucking clue how they're going to do this on television. And that absolutely shocked me because I thought like nah. certainly was like this guy's got takes because if you do again, like we, this is not the time for this conversation, but there's some major drawbacks to any way you slice a season two of this show that should concern rightfully producers and the showrunners as they, as they conceive of how they're going to do this thing. A little bit of that is flavored by like what his take on how the game executed the story as well. Like if that was, he thought it was absolutely fucking fantastic. He's like, this is a better sequel. It's far and away better than the first game in every way. Easily one of the best sequels ever made in his opinion. He thought they absolutely nailed everything they set out to do. He loved it. That lays groundwork then, because I think that will obviously influence uh, how you do a second season. And I would assume that people in the writer's room are also coming from it, coming to it from the perspective of the second game probably being uh, unimpeachable. So yeah, he had other good takes too that. He's like, God, this is so fucking bleak. He's like, it's way more bleak than the first game. Like I hope he's like, I hope they don't mess with a lot of these like key beats. Uh, and he's like, are they going to lose? Are they going to lose people when much larger cast too? much larger cast? Like so many more like subplots in the air. He didn't see two seasons though. He did say that a number of times. Like I don't see two seasons worth of material in this game. So that was interesting. Yeah. We've got three years to do it. It's twice the game. It's twice as many, like, well, it's more than twice the arcs, but you, you literally have two main characters that you are playing the game twice. Ellie's part of the game is as long as the last was part one. And then you have to go back and play Abby. So yeah, it's, it's crazy if they're going to do it in nine episodes. Oh, not nine. Like it's not going to be, it's definitely not going to be a nine episode season. Okay. Well, it just depends a lot on how they do it. Depends a lot on how they do it. It would be absolute television suicide to tell it like the game did it. Like you're going to tell me an entire story from one character's perspective and then do a whole nother six, seven episodes strictly from the other. I mean, it, it would be insane in a video game. Obviously we disagree on whether it worked or not, but in a sh- television show, you cannot set it up that way and expect me to give a shit. I will admit that I, this is not a show that I watch. I'm told that season three of Atlanta, which aired this year, like widely considered one of the most influential television shows that's ever been on television. And I'm really excited to watch it. Season three literally did that where they sidebarred almost all of their main cast almost all of the time in favor of a much different mode of storytelling with a rotating cast of people. The thing I understand about Atlanta is that it's very artsy and avant-garde and very experimental. I don't know if that would really fly in a prestige drama that's trying to, you know, really like sell itself to everybody. Like it's supposed to be something that your parents watch and are interested in. And that would not, if we have a whole half of a game's worth of material about Abby, we don't give a shit about Abby. The whole way that they make us give a shit about Abby is walking us through all of the stuff that she and her people experienced at the hands of Ellie that we have already experienced. And if these things are happening concurrently, she's just going to be a fucking bogeyman. We're not going to care about her. We're not going to care that Ellie makes the choice she does at the end of the game, but we have to for this adaptation to be successful. So I just, I, I, I don't want to litigate the whole thing right now. I don't want this to be a two and a half hour podcast, but this is a conversation I really want to have after the finale. After we see if they've done any sprinkling of any stuff from part two and we can like really deep dive it. But I just, I, I, I think I'm kind of afraid of what this season two is going to look like. Cause I think they're fucked no matter what they do. 
That's but I'll I'll dive more into that at a later time. They do not have the benefit of the doubt from me any longer. Not that they had much rope to begin with, because I am the eternal pessimist. You exactly. You don't give many benefits of many doubts to anything. I just want that on record that this is not a unique phenomenon for Mr. Olson. Getting your expectations up and giving someone the benefit of the doubt makes being let down a lot worse than just expecting it to just be kind of a bummer anyway. And even I, you know, can get hyped up and have those expectations be let down. But uh, I'm always looking for that thing that's going to prove me wrong. Just a reminder, EJ, for many of us having our expectations up is not exactly the same thing as uh, just believing that something will be good or giving people the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Might as well be interchangeable. You know, so far, most of the things I've been concerned about. It's not so binary is what I'm saying. Sure. And I give too many benefits to too many doubts. I've come around as you all just heard me scream into my microphone about Pokemon for like right. 65 to 70% of this podcast, which is a crazy figure given what I thought it was going to be. Uh, <laughs> I'm starting to give less if it's not earned, but I do, I do, as Nick said, you know, I'm on one side of the extreme ish and EJ's on one side ish of the extreme. Not that we're extreme, but we are, we are a little polar in that. I give, I give too, the benefit of the doubt too many times, maybe when it's not earned and EJ maybe could give it a few more times where, where it's deserved, but Somewhere in the middle is some balance. And that's where you are, Nick. That's the ground you occupy. And thank God for you, because otherwise we'd just be fucking yelling. It at just ends other. up me, me being not like hyper swayed one way or the other. I'm never totally like taken aback and surprised and never really let down and, you know, extremely disappointed. So You're the last of the Stoics there, therein lies balance, but therein also lies, I don't know, mediocrity. <laughs> You're in the you're in the medium place, the fine place. <laughs> you know, Chris. I always say to you, like, you know, you're you're much more interested in the ideas, and I am sort of. I don't know how to phrase this. I always say you're the ideas guy, and I'm like, I want whatever their idea is to be executed properly. And I think you're much more swayed in the execution of something if the idea is worth having explored in the first place. I am like, I don't even care what the idea is. As long as it's like, just compel me when it's happening and I, you can convince me of anything. I won't give credit to a, to something that is done poorly or even if something's mediocre, I'm not going to give it extra points because the idea was cool. You can have both phenomenal ideas and execute it on it uh, uh, in an exceptional way. We're also looking at this from like vastly different parts of the creative process that you are an editor, which means that execution and precision and exactitude is your stock and trade. I am a director, which means that I'm aiming for high percentages, knowing I am never going to fully execute everything that I do because it is literally impossible. It has never been done and it will never be done. So if I see like <laughs> an admittedly not very great montage of of these like weird commercial editing crap from the end of episode six when they're riding on the horses and sitting at the campfire. I'm like, you know what? That was a little weird. And I get what they're doing. And the rest of the episode on some, you're hitting high percentages. You're hitting higher percentages in terms of your execution to this. I'm cool with it. And for you, that's unforgivable. And of course it should be because that is your job is to do that better. And so I get it. And I have a ton of respect for that. I have a ton of respect for that. That's why I think we make for good conversation on this podcast right and that's why we'll never agree on last of us part two 
and I don't know how they're going to split the difference because something has to give in its execution as a show. Uh, it's going to be, I, I mean, in my mind, I know exactly how they could and should do it to make it compelling. Uh, but apparently this is a much bigger issue for people who loved that game versus the many, many people who did not love that game. More did than didn't. I don't know. I mean, critically, Last Jedi has a 92%. It's probably the most loathed Star Wars film ever made. Of course, this being a no. much higher bar than Star Wars and at any point. In it. I thought Solo still existed. Yeah, Solo is an absolute abomination of a film. Easily the worst piece of Star Wars media ever made, except for the book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Kenobi and most of Disney+. Plus. 2,000 people who are the loudest people on the internet hated the last Jedi. It's the same as the people who, who made a big fuss about sword and shield. Oh, the full Pokedex. Oh, the animations are bad. 2000 people online. That's it. That is it. Everybody take a drink because we talked about star Wars and Pokemon in the same episode. Round of applause. Is this on, is this on your console crusade bingo board? That's our, our keystones right there. I got time for breath of the wild brother. Art department, we need a bingo card. We need a bingo card for Console Crusade that we can share on the social media <laughs> that we department. don't have. Art department. <laughs> we can't even get an updated logo uh, <laughs> because our art department quit doing art, apparently. Either that or I pissed him off enough. He doesn't want to hear from me anymore. I don't know. One of the two. But uh, Cody, come back. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this podcast and you do good work uh I, I you know i'll have some money for you you can you can make us some things we need to we need to depict chris's face for our uh, itunes and spotify icons all right so i like nick's idea just fuck around with some ai hellscape and do something fucked up and just throw us up there wow i think chris might be morally opposed to that <laughs> <laughs> that's another conversation that him and i have been putting off doing for a for a, a podcast whether it's relevant or not, I mean, relevancy is hardly the basis upon which we do our craft because we spent 20 minutes talking about the N64 controller today. So who knows? Who fucking knows? Indeed. Honest to God, who knows? EJ holds the wheel. But you know what? I I, I still have all my notes for that uh, sequel trilogy podcast. We never did, EJ. Uh, it's just a battle of attrition at that point. Really? It's just whoever gets bored quicker. Which will be EJ because he's just so tired. <laughs> I'm just I'm so weary. I think we'd have a great conversation about The Force Awakens. I think The Last Jedi would be us digging deeper and deeper into our trenches until we reach the center of the earth. And then we just have a great ass time if we were still even remotely sober uh, of doing Rise of Skywalker and just taking a fat shit all over it. Yeah, you guys would be the, the Predator handshake meme <laughs> for that. Right. I will say... If this is any indication of of my thoughts and feelings about anything, I don't know. While I recognize that Rise of Skywalker is a hilarious pile of ass, and J.J. Abrams only second to Zack Snyder and just making the most milk toast bullshit out of like the most beloved things that have ever existed on the planet, uh, I had a way better time watching that movie the first time in theaters. I actually only saw Rise of Skywalker once. Uh, then Last Jedi, which I saw a few times in theaters, uh, trying to convince myself as I did with uh, uh, with uh, the first movie, whatever the fuck it was called, Force Awakens. Uh, I saw that one seven times in theater trying to convince myself it was good. It wasn't. Just a bunch of creatively bankrupt fucking losers trying to cash in on uh, the average Pokemon fan, average Star Wars fan. <laughs> I don't know if I like this. I'll watch it seven times. Yeah, <laughs> Piece of shit. This is a problem. Like, just watch it. Have your take. Rewatch it. 
and then just fucking carve out some ground. If you see anything in theater seven times, you are going to hate it. <laughs> Which is why I only saw The Last Jedi two or three times. Uh, didn't need seven times <laughs> to know I hated it. You watch Rise of Skywalker again, and I guarantee you we're going to be on the same page. I know it's 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 a the script is hilarious. There's not uh, one thing that that movie does well, except for where's Waldo ship screen at the end where it's like, oh, I know all those ships that you like pause the DVD at home and you're like, oh, look at that. There are plenty of things that they did well in a vacuum. But again, it, that does not make a good movie. Somehow Palpatine Palpatine returned and I could see Oscar Isaac going I signed that contract for all three of these films I advocated to be included he was supposed to be dead when his ship crashed in the force awakens and he stumped to be uh, uh, continued in J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy said I think this character is marketable we should keep him around and he's sitting there thinking I could have been dead in a desert in Jakku. I would not have had to say this absolute schlocky bullshit he made more money saying that line than you and I will make combined this year. So I don't think he's that fussed about it. Really, EJ, you would put your name on arguably one of the worst popular media products of the last 20 years if it meant a seven-figure and eight-figure paycheck. You, you would be cool with that. You, of all people, would be like, I have to do this right. I have to do this well. And you'd put your name on a steaming pile of shit for a seven-figure paycheck. EJ would. I put my name on steaming piles of shit for a lot less, okay? <laughs> Unfortunately, that's the life of a contractor. Yes, I would do anything if it means retiring with my health at 30 years old. Anything. Anything, Chris. Council Crusade bankrupt cast. Morally, ethically, creatively. <laughs> Slowly. <laughs> You guys remember Mr. Metronome from band class?